Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. I am your solo host today, Mark Ellis, Jacqueline Coley, on assignment at one of those fancy film festivals that you hear about. It might be Venice, where a lot of stuff going on in Venice, a lot of stuff happening in Venice. Maybe it was a Tribeca. I think she's getting ready for the Toronto International Film Festival. So Jacqueline Coley working hard with the new movie. So it's going to be my duty today to look back after 30 years. Can you believe it's been 30 years since this movie came out? Before we get to that fun fact here, if you're watching us on Peacock or any of our other streaming platforms, I am not at home. I am on the road in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. Thanks to the team at Brad Garrett's Comedy Club for putting me up and letting me work with them all week long. Brad Garrett actually in town, so getting to hang out with Brad again. It's just uh, it's a great club. It's the best operation in Las Vegas. And for all upcoming tour dates, you can catch me at markellis.live. But that's for now. That's that's the stuff of me as an adult. This movie reminds me of my childhood and maybe coming into adulthood because this movie it's it, not just for the kids. It gets a little dark. And of course, we're talking about Batman Returns, the sequel to 1989's Batman, which starred Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. This time we have Michael Keaton returning as Bruce Wayne slash Batman. Did I just give away his alter ego? Sorry about that, Bruce. And then we also have Danny DeVito as the Penguin. We have Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman, Christopher Walken as Max Shrek, so many more. It is the 30th anniversary of Batman Returns this past June, and Batman Day is on September 17th. So it is apropos that we talk about Batman Returns, which is 81% certified fresh on the tomato meter with a 73% audience score. So much to talk about with this movie. I can't believe we're over 100 episodes into this podcast's legacy. And we haven't talked about Batman Returns. And more tragically, it's the first time that we are welcoming one of my favorite people on the, I'll say, the planet. She's heading to this continent, but she's still in her homeland in the UK. She is a presenter slash host for everything from the BBC. You've seen her on a number of BAFTA projects, BAFTA Scotland, um, which there's all these BAFTAs all over the world that she was illuminating me about. She is the one, the only Miss Claire Lim. Claire, you are currently overseas, but you are traveling to the United States rather soon. Is that right? Yes, uh, after I record this podcast, not right after, but the next day, I will be in a plane, in fact, almost in LA, and I'll be there for about three weeks. I'll be in the state for three weeks. I'm very excited. First time after the pandemic, so I've been filling in a lot of forms and downloading a lot of COVID passes and all that kind of thing. It's a changed world, but I'm very excited to come back. Very excited, very excited indeed. 
Yeah, you and I have been talking uh, really since the pandemic started about when we can get you back over to this side of the pond. And so, so excited to see you in person in just a few days. But for right now, I, I know you and I talk about movies like this a lot, where it's movies that really influenced our childhood. And then especially when you take an iconic character and hell, characters, when you talk about Batman and Catwoman and Penguin, and you put them all in this Vitamix together, Batman Returns it's actually higher than Batman 1989, according to the tomato meter. 89, I think, is, is like 73%. And then if you count this part of the quadrilogy, which I really don't, but then you have Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, which are both rotten movies, according to the tomato meter. We should just call it Batman and Rotten at this point, right? So, um, but, but Batman Returns, Claire, I, I'm, I'm curious for you. When you hear that 81% certified fresh in the tomato meter, is Rotten Tomatoes right about Batman Returns, or is Rotten Tomatoes wrong? It's right. Absolutely right. Unequivocally right. It's such a great film. Um, I remember seeing this on VHS uh, sort of after it came out in the cinema when I was a kid, and I absolutely adored it. I fell in love with it immediately. I'd already seen Batman, and I loved that because it was the first time seeing Batman and seeing a superhero like this on screen. My first superhero experience was... um, uh, Superman for the quest for peace in the cinema. <laughs> I was very young. <laughs> terrible film, terrible uh, Superman film to see in the cinema. But I was really obsessed with superheroes from that point on. So to see Batman and to see a darker Batman and Batman returns even darker and even more twisted, it is so Tim Burton. It reeks of Tim Burton, this film. And I loved the characterizations. I loved how cartoonish they were, I think, for a kid. Uh, my age back then, I was very, very young. Uh, maybe I was like about 10 or something like that. Um, and yeah, like I just love that cartoonish feel and quality to it. So it really spoke to me, uh, despite the darkness and things that we'll talk about later. I loved it. Yeah, th- that darkness you talk about is one of the takeaways from this film still 30 years later. And so I have a story about why this movie came along to me at the perfect time in my life. It was sort of a metaphor for where I was in life. So we'll get to that. But for right now, I will say that, look, if, if you're judging this movie based on its quality, which we should, right? And we're talking about the tomato meter number. I think 81% is fair. However, if I'm using Batman 1989 and it's 73% score on the tomato meter as the barometer, then this movie, Rotten Tomatoes got wrong because it should be lower. It should be lower than the 1989 Batman. I, I would still say fresh, but there's no world where I will accept Batman Returns is higher on the tomato meter than the <laughs> Batman from 1989 that, that reinvented the superhero movie game a lot like Superman 1 did a decade before. And then we got X-Men and Blade a decade after 89, stabbed this comic book boom, thanks to the Spider-Man trilogy, and then the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all that good stuff. So you don't get any of these things that we have today without these two foreign movies, in my humble opinion. But for more on why the critics maybe were feeling this movie even more so than the first Batman, we now turn it over to one of our favorite segments here. Tim Ryan is our expert review curation manager here at Rotten Tomatoes. And his segment, Two Minutes with Tim, tells us what critics were saying at the time 30 years ago of Batman Returns' his release. Take it away, Tim. Two Minutes with Tim. I saw Batman Returns twice in the theater in the summer of 1992. It made me really sad. But I went back because that's what you did in the early 90s. Like, I watched Back to the Future Part 3 three times in the theater. I think I saw True Lies twice in one day with two sets of friends. Like, maybe people still do that, but not for, like, every movie. 
Anyway, I was not alone in thinking Batman Returns was especially dark and moody because a lot of professional film critics in 1992 felt the same way. And even though I haven't seen it in years, I vividly remember a number of the set pieces, the performances by Danny DeVito and Michelle Pfeiffer, and the striking visuals. And yeah, many of the critics were struck by those elements as well. Batman Returns is certified fresh at 81% on the tomato meter with 88 reviews, and it has a 73% audience score. So what did the critics have to say? In a fresh review, Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune wrote, This time the richness of the Batman movie is not in its production design, but rather in Burton's and screenwriter Daniel Waters' Freudian view of adult human behavior. However, in a rotten review, Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times wrote, Tim Burton's Batman Returns, even more than the original Batman, is a dark, brooding film, filled with hurt and fear, childhood wounds, and festering adult resentments. It is also a most intriguing movie, great to look at, fun to talk about. There is no doubt Burton is a gifted director, but is he the right director for Batman? The Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus reads, Director Tim Burton's dark, brooding atmosphere, Michael Keaton's work as a tormented hero, and the flawless casting of Danny DeVito as the Penguin and Christopher Walken as, well, Christopher Walken, make the sequel better than the first. So that's Batman Returns. Let's kick it back to Mark. Even though we're in the midst of a heat wave, it's going to be a hot time on the cold town tonight. Back to you. This podcast needs an enema. Well, I guess that's more the first movie. It, it's interesting to hear that Gene Siskel loved this movie and Roger Ebert, not so, not so. Maybe we got the one thumb up for this movie. We'll have to check if Roger ended up getting that old thumb in the right direction. So let's head right into movie talk. It's so funny where hearing Tim Ryan talk about how he went to go see True Lies twice in one day. I did that with Die Hard with a Vengeance. My aunt took me to see it that morning, and then I took the rest of the family to see it that night. Have you ever seen a movie twice in one day? No, no, I've no, I've seen plenty of movies many times, but not twice in one day. Although True Lies would be one that I would see twice in one day. True Lies is one of my favorite Arnold films. I know there's Running Man and all these things, but like I love True Lies. I love big, schlocky 90s action films. I'm a very simple girl. I'm a very, very cheap, simple date. Uh, Mark, just take me to like an Arnie film and grab me a beer. That's basically it. That's like the perfect. That's the key to going out with Claire is you take her to a movie in the morning and then you just keep seeing the same movie over and over again. You just stay in the theater and you just let them clean the theater around us. I would say True Lies is one of Arnold's best efforts, certainly better than his turn as Mr. Freeze in Batman and Robin. It was fun to see Arnold in Batman and Robin. But by that point, the movies had just so separated themselves from what these first two Tim Burton films were. And that, that's sort of what I was getting at in, in the intro is that Batman 1989, I went to go see with my family because I was obviously, I was too young back then to go by myself. We just moved to a new town. I discovered movie theater nachos for the first time with Batman 1989. It's a great formative experience. But then, Claire, you know, you grow up so fast in such a short period of time when you're preteen into teenager. And I was 11 years old when Batman Returns came out. And so I went to the theater by myself with my friends. Obviously, you have your parent drop you off, but then you're going to the movie by yourself. And so that's why I feel like Batman Returns so much darker, so much more adult. And it's almost like, hey, now Mark's going to the movies by himself with his friends and he's being trusted out there in the world without parental guidance, constantly looking over him. And then this movie comes on and my God, people say, Oh yeah, I can see how it's dark or it's glow. It is dark. 
It is a very dark movie. Did you see this in a theater? Did somebody take you to see it or did you did you first catch it uh, in, in home media afterwards? I caught it on VHS and I watched it on my own. Like, and my parents didn't have any. My parents let me watch whatever I, I wanted, pretty much. Um, it wasn't the social media days of, oh, my God, everything's bad. And it was just like, here's some, here's Robocop. Watch that. You know, you are a nine. Watch it. Here's Batman Returns. Watch that. I noticed the the dark sexual under or overtones and all the darkness uh, um, a lot stronger as an adult, actually, than I was a, than I did as a kid. Because as a kid, I'm looking at the costumes. I'm looking at the characterization. Catwoman is so Catwoman. Batman is so boring, <laughs> I guess, in this film. He doesn't say a word until about 30 to 35 minutes in. And then you've got Penguin, and he's this grotesque creature that lives underground with like a family of penguins and these circus people and the clowns and everything like that. Max Shrek, the corporate villain. What a great, I love a corporate villain, Mark. Like I really, really do. Like Verhoeven usually does corporate villains really well, like Total Recall and things like that. But I I never really realised until later. I thought, yeah, Christopher Walken, he plays this very kind of Trumpian character. Charming for the people completely complete sociopath so all of these things sort of demarcated in my little childlike brain were really good to watch as a kid you know perfect watch to watch as a kid I didn't notice all the darkness did it make you feel funny Mark when you watched Batman Returns did you get some funny feelings well it gave me a funny feeling especially in terms of maybe it wasn't the sexual awakening that Bruce Wayne was having at the time with with Selena Kyle. And then I, I do love when, when they they're having a moment together at his place and he brings up Vicky. And that's like the only mention of Vicky Vale, Kim Basinger's character from the first one. And Selena Kyle just laughs and she's like, Vicky, was she, which airline did she work for? Something like that. And you know, the, the real darkness in this movie, not just comes from the subject matter, which is super gloomy, but you also have this marriage of the story with the backdrop of Christmas and we're lighting a Christmas tree. And that really sets our events in motion is that this Christmas tree lighting goes horribly wrong. You have all these clowns that are just attacking people left and right. We don't know where they're coming from. We don't know why they're there. There's rumors of this thing in the sewer that turns out to be Oswald Cobblepot slash Penguin. And we're off and running, but right from the start, and this is one of my favorite scenes I'll say in the same player is the opening credits. Because I love that Danny Elfman score. It's one of my favorite movie scores in history. We do get to see a brief appearance by Penguin's dad, Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman. And this is important to note because this was right after the scandal in quotes broke that Paul Rubens went into an adult film theater and was a little too friendly with himself. And that was sort so, so Pee Wee was sort of persona non grata for a while. But to see him in this movie, he was unrecognizable. They have a child. There are these rich waspy types. And so they don't want the kid because it's not a perfect baby. They put it into a basket. They send it down a river like the opposite of the Moses story in the Bible. And that is our opening credit scene is watching a baby carriage float deeper and deeper into the sewer. Claire, that's my argument that says this movie doesn't feel dark. This movie is dark. Uh, You forgot to mention four words, Mark. Baby in a cage. They put the <laughs> blooming baby in a cage. The baby is in a cage. And then three other words, baby eats cat. 
oh my god so like the baby eats the cat so they eat the cat <laughs> does eat the cat grabs the cat i assume that it's feasting on the cat it's definitely not petting the cat um but yeah like that i think the opening is really powerful actually because it sets the tone for the whole film you you open to that score as you mentioned incredibly powerful and memorable score it's like this baroque dark fairy tale you know, and it's got that kind of Christmas feel. But it was released in June, right? Is it a Christmas film, though, Mark? Is it a Christmas film? It, it, it's one of those great debates that we'll have because, you know, Die Hard is now considered a Christmas classic. It came out in like, I, I think it came out at the beginning of the summer. Lethal Weapon, I think, came out in March, and that's considered a Christmas movie. So it really is Christmas all the year round in Hollywood. But no, it doesn't feel like a Christmas movie at all. It, it feels like a movie that lives in the world of Batman, more so from the graphic novels, I would say, than the, the lighter comic books that were the basis for the 1960s Batman TV show in the movie. Is there a scene that you would point to in this movie, Claire, and you're sort of like that? That is why I feel like this movie has earned its perch as a certified fresh film on the tomato meter. Oh, there's a there's a few scenes, but I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose a sort of a scene that people might not think of straight away, and it's a scene almost at the very end of the film, and it's a ballroom scene. Max Reck is holding a party, and Selena is there, and Bruce is there. He's decided to go along because oh well, Selena's going to be there, so he might see her. He sees her coming down from the staircase, and she looks absolutely gorgeous. And they meet and they dance. And we have to keep in mind, she's kind of being driven mad by this idea that she needs to get back at Max for killing her, essentially. And as she was reinvented as, as Catwoman, she has a gun. He's getting a bit nervous. And then they're under the mistletoe. And then they say this famous line that they said earlier in the film, um, which is very, very important because it's it's the, the line that basically shows that they know and they understand who they actually are. It's about the kiss under the mistletoe and, you know, a kiss is deadly if you mean it, that kind of thing. And um, they suddenly look at each other and they're like, do we start fighting? Like, what do we do now? A kiss under the mistletoe. You know, mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it. A kiss can be even deadly. Does this mean we have to start fighting? Let's go outside. That seems so great to me because it shows how powerful Michelle Pfeiffer's uh, acting is actually and how powerful the chemistry is between Bruce and Selina. We see the chemistry between Catwoman and Batman, but that chemistry is very important and they are incredible actors. And amongst all the craziness and the darkness and the cartoonish characters, that's a very serious and a very well acted moment. And that for me stands out as something that makes the film quality. It's not just a silly cartoonish film. You've got some powerful acting in there as well and great storytelling. And you also have that sort of blurring the lines between hero, villain, anti-hero. And that was another sort of discovery for me as, as a boy was watching this and being like, you know, you walk in and you're like, OK, I know Batman's the good guy. And then everybody else is a bad guy. Right. And so Catwoman is a villain. But no, no, no. You watch it. And in Catwoman recasting and retelling since then, Catwoman is basically just another hero in the Batman, the most recent one that we got with the, the great 
uh, is Zoe Kravitz in the role. And so to see Michelle Pfeiffer play off of Bruce Wayne and have that tension you're talking about back and forth, it's so well done. And she owns so many of my favorite moments in this movie from when we get to meet her as just this nebbish, this sort of squirrely secretary who has big ideas, but just knows nobody's going to listen to him. She gets home. She's got a lonely life. She's pretty much like me getting back to my place. And, you know, honey, I'm home. Oh, wait, I'm not married. And just living by yourself. And the hello there neons. And then she comes back as Catwoman after Shrek pushes her out the window and she gets revived by all these neighborhood cats. She comes back and she knocks out two of the letters and it says, hell here. And I'm like, oh, that is so cool. I see what you did there, Michelle Pfeiffer. I see what you did there, Catwoman. But one of the coolest announcement and arrivals that there is a new character in the town of Gotham is when she blows up that storefront and then just gives a simple meow because it's like, hey, there's a new person that you're going to have to tussle with, whether you're Batman, whether you're Penguin, whether you're anybody. I'm, I'm my own person. This is the destruction I'm capable of. And the storefront blows up. It's a beautiful, destructive sequence. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 100%. She's such a uh, scene stealer. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is incredible. When I think of Batman Returns, I think of her first. Before Batman and the Penguin, although each one of them are great, I'd say the like Michael Keaton and Batman are sort of slightly weaker in this film. Um, he's he doesn't have as big a role. He's quite silent and he's quite boring. And it. actually, it's the other two that are, and even Max Shrek, Christopher Walken, that are bringing the kind of energy. But Michelle Pfeiffer is incredible. She's such a sort of before we were having. Um, conversations about feminism and before it was a hashtag and before it was something that we talked about online she's such a strong feminist icon in this film and she says things like you know the law doesn't apply to men like him and you know she's trying to fight against uh, and him by him she means max shrek her boss you know and she's trying to kind of like fight against that and fight against all of these elements to try and be the hero or the anti-hero and also the woman that she wants to be. And the way that she transforms, as you said, from the squirrely kind of secretary, the next day she comes in wearing the same clothes, which is completely different. She's strutting around. You can't take your eye off her. She's become the focus of the room. So yeah, she is incredible. Every scene with Catwoman, even like the the sort of the scene where she's on top of Batman, and then she sort of just licks his face, you know, and you're like, <laughs> oh, oh. 
wow, okay, here we go. <laughs> like, And it's really, and I think that went on, I think in terms of the comics after this film, it influenced a lot of artists and it influenced a lot of comic book writers because Tim Burton famously said, yeah, I wasn't really into like comics. You know, I wasn't really into like the comics in general. Like it does feel like he's taken the essence of what these characters are and he's just twisted it in his mind and, and basically put them through the Burton machine and that's how they've come out as little Burton sausages you know so like that's how he's basically done it and I think that's great and I think it's absolutely fine to do that Nolan has his take uh, Burton had his take as well we've had Schumacher the less said about the other ones the better but she had Schumacher's take as well as, and then we had bat nipples at one point Jesus Christ <laughs> so you know so we've had all sorts of different takes on Batman but I like it when a director takes something and makes it their own and if it's not for you and that's absolutely fine. There's so many Batman movies now to choose from, so it's fine. And he gave his actors such a wonderful sandbox to play. And like we're talking about Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman, the scene where she says, maybe I'll just give myself a bath right here. And then for a moment, we're like, what's about to happen? And then she just starts licking herself like a cat. And that so turns on Penguin, who is just this primal force of darkness and it just so twisted and there's just no redemption because he's been spurned his whole life and he literally had to be taken in by penguins at such an early age of existence and when we see him emerge as an adult in his final penguin form it's such a great performance that Danny DeVito crafted and it's so menacing and but there's there's times when I mean, you got to feel for Oswald Cobblepot and it makes him such a three dimensional villain. He's still clearly in the realm of villain, but it's not a villain where you can't at least understand where they're coming from. And, and that's why he wins over the hearts of the town, because they stage a rescue of a baby. But more importantly, he just wants to know who his parents are. He wants to find his parents. He wants to find out why he was rejected by his parents. And so you can relate to that. And then we get to some of the more grotesque violence scenes. I remember there was an uproar amongst parents. A lot of parents probably, like my parents, my parents didn't really care, but they would drop their kids off at the movies to go see the Batman movie and trust that the Batman movie is going to be no worse than a PG-13. But the scene in particular that parents lost their minds at was when Danny DeVito gets upset at some other sort of cranky, either politician or a lobbyist, and he bites his nose. And, and it's, it's it's there's blood just shooting out of his nose and parents thought that was a bridge too far this is in the days when mortal Kombat was all the rage at the arcades and there's blood gushing out of every orifice and it was just too much for our virgin eyes but really the whole character of penguin was such this like freakish like adult themed character that kids if anything were just going to be scared by he's quite looking at him now with adult eyes he is quite a pathetic character, actually. As you said, he's, he's twisted and strange and quite sad, you know, because he just wants to find his parents. He thinks that, the, you know, the world above is for him, but he isn't quite human, as he says. It's actually in the end up, it's the world below and the his penguin family and the circus family um, that, that are actually his family. In fact, it's just the penguins at the end, this procession of penguins that sort of drag him into the water when, when he meets his end. So it's, it's quite... I wasn't very scared by the Penguin when I was younger because, I, as I'd mentioned before, I'd seen all sorts of films like Robocop and all sorts. My mum, like, sat me in front of all sorts of horror films and things. So, And it's funny that parents got upset by the biting of the nose and not the, the whips 
and the licking of the PVC and things like that. It's like, oh no, that poor man's nose. We must cause an uproar. Everyone, brands, pull out immediately. So I, I find that that's quite, it's funny as well when I was thinking about um, the uproar caused. What makes us squeamish now is so completely different to 30 years ago. You know, it's that's so tame. This film is very tame, actually, when you look back at it. And for people to be so upset about it is incredible to me. And it just shows how much we've pushed the boat out further and further and further. I don't think there's ever been... I'm thinking about the rest of the Batman films and I don't think there's any one Batman film I've thought is particularly very violent in terms of its content. I think we're so used to just seeing things now, which is kind of sad, actually. I kind of want to be shocked. Do you want to be shocked, Mark? Because I kind of want to be shocked again. You know what shocks me about this movie? It's not necessarily the violence. We'll get into some of the action sequences too, but it is that moment you talked about with the penguin. That's the one that always stands out to me is, I think of the nose biting us because of the uproar, but then I think of when, when Penguin does end up meeting his demise and it's it, it, I get oddly emotional watching the penguins walk their daddy into his watery grave and then he just slowly descends into this into this black water and and I, I feel bad for the penguins Claire this was their this was their daddy this was their poppy this was their poppy oh okay Mark wait hold on okay I've got a problem with that scene first of all okay oh my god Mark okay so first of all, it's a sad scene. It's the way the way he dies and just drops to the ground fine. And he's got the, you know, the saliva, that dark saliva coming out of his mouth. He's fully animal at that point. Bam, drops to the ground. You can't, I guess, his penguin sons, as you would say, Mark, coming out of nowhere. And they're kind of, okay, now this is very pedantic, but I'm a very pedantic sort of person. They drag him along with their flippers, but they're not really touching his body. They're kind of, how are they sliding them with their weird penguin strength? They're just kind of walking along slides. I'm sorry, that whole scene is just rubbish. It just doesn't work. And I watched it and I spun it back and I was like, it's very unrealistic. They couldn't even grab him. They couldn't hold onto his back. They've got no fingers. They've got no opposable thumbs. This is nonsense. That was the thing that made me think it was nonsense. <laughs> it was, that very it was the bond of love, Claire. They loved him so oh much. It God. transcended the physical property and they were able to drag him probably also with some water, with some slickness, with the downhill grade going right into the water. And um, But then you're also in the back of your mind, you're thinking, okay, wait a minute, what's going to happen with Bruce and Catwoman here. And so I'll also say one of my favorite scenes, you know, I look back on this movie, it's not necessarily this giant piece or a climactic moment. This is one of the first, to my knowledge, not even a post credit scene, but just a tease, like at the very end of a movie, like, oh, we may not be done yet because we think that Catwoman's used up all our lives and she dies too. But no, right at the end of the movie, you see her head pop up from behind and it's so cool. It's such a cool thing to walk out of the theater with. They're like, oh, we might get another adventure. How robbed do we feel now that we didn't, instead of Batman Forever, we didn't get a movie that would feature once again Bruce Wayne, played by Michael Keaton, and Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. I know, oh my goodness. That was a body double as well because she wasn't available that end scene. And I think it cost them millions of dollars just to do that end scene, like, or a lot of, a lot of money. Um, I honestly would have loved to have just seen a standalone film with Catwoman. I don't even think we would need Batman. We could actually just have Catwoman. That would have worked. But it was in development hell, I think, for like 10 years. Like a lot of these amazing things that we read about are, 
you know, just lots of probably internal politics and things like that. So it's such a shame because the next time we saw Catwoman alone in the movie was uh, the Sir Halle Berry Catwoman. <laughs> and nothing yep. against Halle Berry. She's an absolutely fantastic actress, but no, I'm just going to say no. Just no, no. CGI Halle Berry crawling along rooftops like some kind of like strange cat spider. It was terrible. Oh my God. So yeah, that next time, I mean, then that just ruined it. But then, you know, we got Zoe Kravitz recently and I think, although I'm not a big fan, I know that's an unpopular opinion. I'm not a big fan of that Batman movie. I'm not. But I thought they did a, a decent job and I thought Zoe Kravitz was very, very good. But whereas the Tim Burton film was dark... And it's cartoonish and it was very stylized, you know, because it was very Tim Burton-esque. It kind of worked for me. But when I saw the new Batman film, I was like, oh my God, this is so emo. Everything was so emo. At one point in the new film, just to digress, Alfred wakes up from a coma and instead of, you know, uh, Bruce Wayne going, oh, Alfred, are you okay? He's just like, so. <laughs> He's just like immediately like, Alfred, he's so dark to the point that that's almost cartoonish in a kind of different way that it doesn't work for me. So that's why Tim Burton's works because it's so of a style and a time and a place. But I could very easily draw a line between Batman Returns specifically and the Batman in terms of a, a darkness and a feel and a tone. The Batman Returns did lean a little bit more into the campiness and, and that speaks to the Tim Burton of it all. But where, whereas I feel like both of these movies, Batman 1989 and Batman Returns, feel very like a Tim Burton film. He puts his signature stamp on it. I feel like Batman had more of a fun to it and more of a lightheartedness. And, and, and that might just be attributed to the fact that we're getting to know Batman. And so you got to ease us into it a little bit, even though Batman has his own tragic backstory. So does Jack Napier, for that matter, uh, becoming the Joker. But then we also get Robert Wool's reporter, and he's a great comic relief in that movie. And him hitting on Vicky, Vicky going after Batman. Like, there's a lot more fun. You, Joker running around cracking jokes, and that's not really the style. In the same way that Catwoman, who it was very punny, and Penguin can be very punny, but they're more doing it for their own entertainment, not necessarily to entertain us, the audience. And when you talk about the audience, Claire, I think a lot of people were left somewhat cold, not just because of the weather in Gotham, but because you see a movie called Batman Returns. Batman returned, or did he? Because he's just sort of a fly on the wall for most of this movie. Did we get shortchanged with not enough actual or was it worth it to make him the backup singer to Catwoman and Penguin? I think they should have called the film Batman and then, you know, in parentheses, was there because uh, he was he was there he was there he, he I think for ba Batman feels like a bit player in this you know and I guess I understand why people would have felt like they got shortchanged I didn't feel like that personally as a fan even now and I didn't feel like that as a kid because it was there was a lot for you know visual feast for the eyes like you know my brain was like sparking off when I watched this I was like wow and this and that and this but it wasn't really a Batman film. And I, they each share equal billing on the poster. You see them on the poster, just uh, that famous poster with the three of them, their sort of heads, you know, one after the other. They are equal in one, you know, and they're all the same. There's, um, there's a quote that uh, Penguin says to Batman in this film, and he says, you're just jealous because I'm a genuine freak uh, and you have to wear a mask. 
And that's kind of how I feel about these three characters. They're all freaks, each and every one of them. It's not just Batman being up here or Catwoman or Penguin. It's all of them, every single one. So I can understand why people were being shortchanged, but it felt more sort of theatrical and sort of... So I didn't really mind that. So, you know, if you want to go watch like a Batman film, there's plenty of proper Batman films that you could go watch to just see him brood over the death of his parents again. If that floats your boat, go do that. But I was a bit... I get a bit bored of that sometimes, so I want something a bit different. Yeah, it was also refreshing just to see somebody else have some parent issues, that being Penguin, most notably. Yeah, exactly. You can't talk about Batman Returns, though, and not at least mention Christopher Walken, because this was the entry point for, I would say, most everyone in my generation, and, and probably younger, too. This was the first time we met Christopher Walken. I had no idea who Christopher Walken is. He maybe looked vaguely familiar to me. The name Max Shrek, obviously taken from a very old-timey sort of actor. And you have this character is really one of the, I would say there's multiple glues to this story, but Max Shrek is really some of the, the most connective of the tissue in this movie because he is now going to have a storyline with Penguin. He obviously relates to Catwoman because he pretty much is responsible for the formation of Catwoman. He's going to be butting heads in a boardroom with Bruce Wayne. And so Max Shrek really is integral to the telling of this story because he sort of represents the power that Penguin craves, but he also represents a thing for the city of Gotham and sort of the the cloud of secrecy and the cover-ups that you get at the highest halls of Gotham City. Absolutely. I think you've just described that perfectly as to why I think in terms of script writing, it's actually a really good film. If you take away everything else, the way that the characters are written, the layers that, they're, that they have to them and the way that they all interlink and then all interlink with Max Shrek, who actually is at the top here. They've all got something against Max and he is connecting all of them. It's actually very well written. So you can say what you like about this film, but the screenwriting is actually very, very good. There are some weak moments in the script, you know, which I could talk about later. But in terms of that interlinking of story, the layering and having it quite a tight story as well, at no point do I go, wait a minute, but wait a minute, but wait a minute. I'm never really doing that. And I do that with a lot of other films. But with this, I took what I was given and I liked what I was given. And I love those layers and I like that connection. So it's, it's well written, Mark. Well written. We, we, we talk about the Tim Burton of it all. And some of the backstory here with Batman Returns is that obviously Batman 1989 comes out. It dominated that entire summer. You couldn't go anywhere without seeing the Batman logo, hearing Prince music. And then obviously there's going to be studio pressure to make a sequel like, hey, we need to turn this thing over faster. Tim Burton was very hesitant to make this or any sequel to any of his movies because he just did quote, didn't find sequels all that interesting. And so there's an early version of, of a script or a treatment that was from Sam Hamm, I believe. And that was going to involve, originally they thought about expanding on the character of Two-Face, which was Harvey Dent played by Billy D. Williams in the first movie. That would have been interesting, but the studio really wanted to focus on Penguin because they looked at him as the next uh, sort of best villain for Batman after the Joker. And then they wanted to incorporate Catwoman. Those early treatments didn't really pass the mustard for Tim Burton. And so then they start working on another version of it. And it's you take what Batman 1989 was. And Burton said he didn't want any connection to that movie for Batman Returns. And I found that so interesting that he purposely wanted to separate from it. So that very quick reference to Vicki Vale is the only 
thing that you hear in Batman. And besides the familiarity of Michael Keaton's face, which again, we don't get to see talk nearly as much as we did in the first movie. That's really the only connection. So that's why those movies feel so wildly different from one another, even though it's the same director. And even though they both feel like they're in that director's wheelhouse, I still go with Batman 1989, but I certainly see the appeal and the influence of Batman Returns. I think Batman Returns, ironically, may be the more influential movie with modern comic book movie culture. It's interesting because, I mean, I love the first Batman movie. You know, like when I saw that, it blew my little mind as well. You know, it was the first time seeing all those characters on screen. But it's an interesting one because, you know, Batman Returns really is an example of a film uh, where the director, when you give them full freedom, you know, and he had hired a lot of his people. He told the studio, I just want freedom to do what I want to do. And that's what we get. And it was popular nonetheless. And that's a really interesting concept. Yes, the the first film was also popular and it's still directed by the same director. But I think that sometimes studios don't take risks. This is quite a risky film. And the fact that they gave him the money to make it, if we think about all the elements that we talked about, I mean, McDonald's were pulling out. They didn't want their Happy Meals associated with this film. Yeah. Eventually, you know. But I also read that the original script had a Catwoman and the Penguin teaming up together to search for hidden treasure, like a bunch of weird pirates. (laughs) It's like, like, I was like, what? Actually, but now I kind of feel like I would like to see that film. Um, probably would enjoy it better than Pirates of the Caribbean. Can you imagine them like searching for tre- treasure? The penguin with his little peg leg. That'd be absolutely amazing. I actually can. They, they should have given him the, the submarine that Burgess Meredith had in the 1966 TV and movie version of Batman. I mean, because they always teamed up together back in the day. You always had Batman going up against... It was Batman and Robin going up against... In the movie, especially, you got Catwoman, you got Penguin, you got Riddler, and you got Joker. They always had such a great time together. It's a shame we never got that entire rogues gallery all in one movie. But as the next two Joel Schumacher Batman films taught us, maybe it would have been cramming a little bit too much in there. And so if if, if we take a step back, we just look at this as a whole. I will also say another star of this movie to me at the time anyway was the Batmobile because Batman's been making some modifications to that baby. The the flame trick that he does, the the fact that he's got the missiles on it and it can rotate. He's got this little thing that comes out of the bottom and it rotates. I know McDonald's was pulling out of this movie because they thought it was too dark for kiddies. There's a lot of toys that you can sell just based off the new revamped. The Batman Returns Batmobile might be my favorite Batmobile of them all. Does Claire Lim have her favorite Batmobile ready for the world to hear. It's the same as yours. I'm glad that you said that. Yes, 100%. We had like a Batmobile toy from that film. We got a lot of toys from that film. Um, and I had, a, I was really, I mean, you don't know how obsessed I am. I was with the first and the second film. I had toys, I had t-shirts, I had like the clothing, I had like pajamas, I had like the whole, the whole lot and the Batmobile as well. My, I didn't have a dollhouse when I was a kid because I was like a little tomboy nerd. I had like a car park and I used to just line up the cars in the car park perfectly because that was my that was my dollhouse mark. I had a car park. So like I had like all these little Batmobile things as well. I had a sticker book where I had to collect the stickers as well, like from the first and the second movie. So I just think it looks, the design is really sleek. It looks really cool. And there's loads of great modifications, as you said, but 
we can see that as soon as they put like a little, one little contraption or device in it, messed up, completely messed up. The Batmobile is completely messed up. Penguin's taken over the Batmobile and it's and, and that's it, it's game over. So it's not, you know what? The design is flimsy at best, Mark. Would you agree? It's quite flimsy. He never got a chance to really road test it before this moment. And so, you know, you know, working uh, with on a time crunch, I would say. Uh, to say the very least about it. Another great performance by Michael Guff as Alfred, where, and I do love the scene. It just, it tells me so much about Bruce Wayne and his relationship to, to the world at large, where I think it's gazpacho or it's, it's something else. It's a cold soup that Alfred made for for dinner um, for, for Bruce Wayne. And Bruce Wayne is obviously in the back cave and he's working hard. He's studying these villains and he serves him the bowl of soup. And he takes a uh, Michael Keaton takes a bites of it and he spits it. He's like, Alfred, the soup's cold. And he's like, it serves cold. And then he thinks about it for a minute. Then he just starts eating it. And it's like food is just fuel for this guy. This guy has no enjoyment of anything because he's so obsessed fighting crime. And he's just so deep into his Batman pathos that he can't find any sort of hope. It, it, it didn't work out with Vicky. And I'm sorry, Bruce, but, you know, you got to stop missing the forest for the trees. Selena Kyle is right there. She's more like you than you want to admit. And that maybe they should have skipped off into the sunset like they did we think at the end of the dark knight rises where they just go off on some foreign country so maybe is is i I guess my question to you as as we put a button in this in this movie in this conversation claire where are if that's the end of batman's story and we never see another movie where are batman and where are catwoman today are they hanging out do they know each other are they keeping tabs on each other did one of them just go off to live in barbados for the rest of their lives where are they now well i've got a question for you after i answer your question okay where would they be now they would definitely not be together and they would not be married i think it would be one of those toxic relationships that they keep going back to you know it's like oh god i just can't i just can't quit you you know one of those kind of relationships you know what i'm talking about mark it's like oh I really keep going for the same type. Oh, there you are again, that kind of thing. And so that keeps happening and they keep finding themselves single and they just don't admit that perhaps maybe they should just get it together because they're also commitment phobes. I'm going to just put that on them as well. I feel like they'd be commitment phobes. Or maybe they should just get a dog or a cat. Oh, well, she's got a cat. He should just get a dog. And then that's it. Problem solved. But I had a question for you, Mark. So... And I, I don't know, like, because you seem like a nice, wholesome type, Mark, from what you've said. Yeah. You seem very wholesome. You know, you, you were ignoring all the sexiness and you're going, wow, this is a cool, explosive scene as a young lad. <laughs> you weren't looking at all the sexy stuff. Vicky Vale or Selena Kyle? Ooh. Who would you rather oh. go on a lovely, a lovely, wholesome date with, Mark? Who would you rather go out with? I, I would be tempted. I would be tempted to go with Selena Kyle. Here's why I don't, Claire, because I need to trust you when I'm asleep. Okay. I need, I'm going to have a great time with both of y'all. And I dare say I might have a more fun, wild time in certain rooms of the house with Catwoman than I would with Vicki Vale. But I need to trust you when I am asleep and I don't like sleeping with one eye open. I want to sleep as heavy as possible. And so in the same way that Vicky probably left Bruce because she couldn't trust him when she slept because she wakes up in the first movie in the middle of the night and she sees this dude she just hooked up with hanging upside down, swinging like what the hell is wrong with this guy? I would feel that way about Catwoman. I feel like I'd wake up in the middle of the night and there'd be cats in bed everywhere and Molly would be getting in a fight with them. 
and Selena would just be staring at me. Like it, it, it would just be, it'd be a weird relationship. But I think that you, you're on to something as far as the toxicity, yet the I can't quit you mentality between Batman and Catwoman. Here's my, here's my fan theory, and you and I should work on this fiction together, is that I feel like they have an arrangement. I feel like Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle have an arrangement going forward that they're just going to live their lives, not interfere with each other, but then the holidays come around. And if neither one of them has found anybody by Christmas, they're going to link up just for like that week or two. They're just going to hook up. It's going to be wild sex. They're going to watch a lot of college football bowl games. They're going to celebrate the holidays. There's going to be mistletoe everywhere. And then New Year's Day, get out of my life. I'll see you next year if you don't find anybody better. Do you know what? That sounds like a great time to me, Mark. I'm not going to lie. Uh, not going to lie. I'm quite enjoying being single. So, you know, I'm quite... Quite like the idea of just like having a nice three day break, shall we say, mistletoe all over the place. And just, you know, when he's watching football, it's like, yeah, I'm just going to like bake or something. <laughs> like I just yeah. pet my cat and uh, I'll, I'll see you tonight at 11 o'clock. <laughs> like, I think I think Batman and Catwoman are the ultimate example of cuffing season where, look, we haven't found anybody yet. So let's just get in a relationship so we can show off to all of our parents. Oh, wait, sorry, Bruce, too soon. And we can just all our friends and family that can wait. Oh, look, they met somebody. And then January, it's done. We're single again. I think that's how I'd like to live my life now that I think about it. So anybody out there who just feels like having a boyfriend for a couple weeks, uh, look up old Mark Ellis in the Yellow Pages. Uh, same if anyone feels like having like a girlfriend for like not let's not say a couple weeks three days at mo- at most um please uh, look me up hi i'm on social media hi 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 <laughs> i set the bar in 14 days and claire's like that's way too long for me man i oh, gotta wow. get out I hey look i'm a commitment phobe mark you're you're very good that's a long that's a long-term relationship as far as i'm concerned mark. wow uh, well much longer than either claire or i's relationship history is the love and affinity that people have for batman returns 30 years later and we're still talking about it and i will say Regardless of where you think it falls in the tomato meter, I just think as as a standalone adventure in a very uh, nutty, gothic world, I feel like Batman Returns certainly still holds up as well as any movie that's based on a comic book or really any action movie, any film from the early 90s period. I think it's right up there with the Terminator 2s of the world where you can still watch it today and get a hell of a lot out of it and see the influence that it's had on movies ever since its release back in June of 1992. So that's going to do it for movie talk. And we are mailbag less. We'll be back with mailbag in a couple weeks, I hear. Uh, but in the meantime, Brian, why don't you just hit that outro music for us? Uh, we do miss Michael Keaton as Batman and Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. You know, what was really cool, Claire, is uh, I know I, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to go to San Diego Comic-Con, but when when you're there and you're in Hall H, like the big hall with like, you know, 6,000 people in there, they do these big movie panels. The crowd is really in tune to like who has paved the way for comic book movies as we know them now. So I was there, I think it was 2014, and they were doing a panel for RoboCop and Michael Keaton's in that movie. They introduced Michael Keaton standing ovation and it's because they're excited to see robocop a little bit but they're giving him a standing ovation for who he was as batman same thing happened a couple years later when michelle pfeiffer was revealed to be in the cast of ant-man standing ovation because they're excited to see her in ant-man and she's the great michelle pfeiffer but she was selena kyle and she really 
turned the role of Catwoman on its ear and really gave us all something to think about and to grow from. So it was a really cool experience. And I hope you had a good experience. And I, I still can't believe that we're over 100 episodes into the show. And this is the first time having you. It was such a treat to see and hear you once again, Claire. I know it's been absolutely wonderful. Like, I mean, anytime I get to like nerd out over movies is completely fine with me. So if you will have me back to gas off about whoever else and whoever else, then I am happy to return. That'd be great. And then maybe we can start writing this fan fiction. I feel like there's something to this. I think we need to we start our Rotten Tomatoes uh, fan fiction pod. I would love to do that. We're just what what would happen in a sort of black mirror world with like, these weird characters? We have to do it, Mark. What, what would you. happen? And, and in Claire and I's podcasting history, we've already written a great sequel to Point Break, and now we're coming up with new Batman material. And so we'll have you back. We'll call it Claire Lim Returns, but we'll give you many more lines than Batman got when he returned in this movie. So in the meantime, I know you're you have a lot of travels coming up really soon. Uh, where can all the kids find you on social media? I know you're active in the Twitch world. Uh, what's sort of the, the Claire Lim hub right now? The Claire Lim hub. It's a sad and lonely place, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> the Claire Lim hub. Um, okay, so uh, Twitter um, is just we Claire, um, as in we small. Um, and then the rest, Instagram, Twitch, uh, it's we Claire here. And if you want to find out more about me, it's we Claire.com. There you go. We Claire.com. That's W E E as in Pee Wee. By, by Paul Rubens, the father, the very terrible father of Penguin slash Oswald Cobblepot. Uh, Claire, last thing before we let you go here, do you have any maybe more current recommendation as far as something that you recently watched? It could be a movie, it could be a show, something that you've been streaming. What is sort of on your watch list that you checked out now you think everybody else should go give a watch? Right, okay. So it's not super recent, but if you ca- if you can catch this TV show, Barry... Um, Barry is, yes. is, I mean, it's got that Breaking Bad feel for me that, oh my goodness, what's happening next? It's uh, short episodes and there's not many seasons. Please check out Barry. It is such an amazing show. I can't get enough of it and I, I want more. I've finished it now. I want more. So please go watch that. I, I, I'm so mad at myself for forgetting the actor's name, but I saw Noho Hank, the guy who plays Noho Hank at a party one time. The, even nicer than he is on the show, which is saying something well, without the sort of murdery side too, but just such a sweetheart. It, it's such a great show. And I know that that's going to appeal to my co-host, Jacqueline Coley's heart, because I don't know if you follow Jacqueline Coley on social media, y'all. She's kind of a Bill Hader fan. So she has that to watch and Barry, uh, three tremendous seasons thus far. And that's a great recommendation for our show and a great way to say good night here. As I remind y'all that you can email us anytime with your thoughts on shows you just listened to. What's your take on Batman Returns? Let us know what other movies in or out Outside of the world of comic books, we should be talking about on this show. Hit us up. RT is wrong at rottentomatoes.com is the email address. And if you're listening to us, if you're watching us, thank you. And whatever that platform encourages you to do, you never chose, do it for us, won't you? Tell your friends and family, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff for everybody here, including the great Claire Lynn at We Claire. Lucy Bruckner. Lucy is our producer, Brian, our engineer, <laughs> Brian Perez. For Jacqueline Coley, I am Mark Ellis, the whole gang here at Rotten Tomatoes. Thanks for watching Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. We'll see you next time. Cute Catwoman's head popping up from behind. 